0: Thank you to everyone who supports this show and all the shows in the Major Spoilers Podcast network. If you're not already, you can become a Major Spoilers member and join the growing group of cool kids by signing up at patreon.com slash Major Spoilers. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later.
1: Matthew, I'm Ashley,
2: I'm Rodrigo,
0: and I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans.
2: In this issue, space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of several properties featuring Sir Patrick Stewart. The x mens meets the crews of the Enterprises, and nothing will ever be the same again, except for this book will never, ever be referenced anywhere, canonically speaking. But we've got the comics, the TV, the cartoons, the movies, and even a book, so suck on that, my fourth grade teacher, who's the emotionally crippled narcissist with severe attachment disorder now, Mrs. Treister. Stand by as we go where no one has gone before. As the Major Spoilers podcast reaches the final frontier, where there's no air. Wow there
0: there there is a lot to unpack in uh, this week's uh, intro, Matthew. <laughs> Um, you know, I would say, uh, we should probably look into at least the fourth or fifth sentence in, in that intro and, and talk about it, but we don't really have that much time.
3: time. Well, that's that's what the discord is for. Yeah. I'll
0: just just say, welcome everyone to issue nine, three, four of the major spoilers podcast. Uh, Ashley, we're covering one of your favorite properties this week, Star Trek.
1: That is true.
0: And this week, Star Trek, as you know, we kind of, we kind of gave, uh, Ashley, the Monkey's Paw treatment this year, where we're not only covering Star Trek, but the curse is only Star Trek that has crossed over with other properties. And this week it is the X Men. Oh, those darned X Men!
2: The Trex Men.
0: And I'm gonna, I'm gonna spoil a little bit are right now. Are we
1: gonna do the second series where Worf and Riker hang out?
0: Yes, yes, we are. Yes, yes, we are. The. Uh, And also, also, we're going to, uh, you know, kind of a little bit of a spoiler alert for everyone uh, ahead of the Loki finale. We're going to show you that it was Kang after all. But you're going to have to wait till later in the show, (laughs) because first we've got some news.
1: Hey, on the Marvel side of the fence, since Steven gave me that awesome segue. Black Widow's doing pretty well. Disney and Marvel's Black Widow movie opened in theaters and on Disney Plus this past weekend. And like I said, it did it did pretty well. According to box office reports, the Scarlett Johansson action flick grossed $80 million, with an additional $60 million from that uh, ye oldie buy it for 30 bucks and watch it at home button. And while that may seem rather tame compared to the billion dollars amounts that other movies have come in, The $60 million from the at-home brings the total for the weekend to over $140 million, which puts it on par with most Marvel flicks pre-Panini. So this is the movie that is going to probably get studios looking at their slate to see how much they can force people to return to the cinemas. And we will see if it's able to gain traction this upcoming weekend, if there's going to be a drop off, it's going to be really interesting to me because Marvel typically sustains itself on repeat viewers. And will black widow have repeat viewers?
0: Sure. They did. If sure, they did. If they did that (laughs) Disney plus uh, purchase where they can watch it as many times as they want for that $30 that they paid for it, which I did. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to watch it again though. Um, you'll have to listen to the pre-show where we talk a little bit about that. Here's the interesting thing. So far, you know, Netflix will come out and say, hey, our Stranger Things was the most watched show this month. But they never say how many people watched uh, in that in that situation with HBO Max. They can talk all about how Wonder Woman 1984 was a big hit for them, but they don't really release numbers. Disney, I think, screwed over every other streaming service by not only coming out and saying, yes, we realize that our movie opened up in theaters uh, here in the U.S. to only $80 million. But our streaming service brought in $60 million on this same movie. I wondered now if that's going to force a lot of the other streamers to come forward and say, OK, well, here's how much our movie made. You said $60 million? Our King Kong versus Godzilla made $900 million. Disney suck that. So I don't know what you guys think about that.
2: I think that that's a valid point, and I kind of hope that it does because I'm not a huge fan of the absolute lack of transparency when it comes to these things. I mean, you and I have argued about the whole numbers game being a, a big schmageggie and a nonsense from the beginning, but not having any numbers and just saying, yeah, this was the number one show, just kind of feels like, you know, the puffery. It, it feels like we don't have any comparison point, we don't have any way of knowing. Uh, it's, it's the whole, you know, I have a girlfriend, she lives in Canada. You don't know her. Yeah. I think And then she died thing. I'll
0: I'll put a little tinfoil hat on, uh, in this case, uh, that they may have kind of had their hand forced to reveal how much money the movie made streaming opening weekend only because of the deal that they had with Scarlett Johansson with grosses and everything. And so that may have forced the accounting to come forward faster than what they normally do. That may be one thing uh, on the reason why they announced this release. Also, maybe to kind of stem off uh, the He-Man Woman Haters Club that is just like, look, it's a woman movie and uh, it didn't do well. Therefore, all movies with women suck kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah Women can't lead action movies is usually the rhetoric that comes yeah, yeah, out yeah. anytime Atomic Blonde or mm-hmm. Tomb Raider or anything Marvel, under the sun yeah. is released.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's I think I like that may be a, under the sun. That that may be another reason why they put that out there. The other thing that I think this does is we'll have to see how the movie does in a second week and whether Disney will release uh, second week numbers on streaming. Disney does get to keep 100% of all the money that they make on streaming. They only get to keep 50% of the movies' uh, money that they make at the movie theater. I wonder if this is also someone setting up somewhere going, look, this movie made almost as much as it did at the movie theater why would we walk away from same-day digital release? All these other companies like Paramount just announced that they changed their window to 45 days for their movies uh, before they go on to uh, Paramount Plus and other streaming services. Uh, So I think we may see, I don't know, I'm just predicting that we're going to see a lot of studios, maybe Disney, Decide that you know what I think. We'll go ahead and keep digital release along with theaters, and if people want to give us one hundred percent of the money, we'll gladly take one hundred percent of the money, and we're still paying fan service to the movie theaters and uh, letting them keep fifty percent of the scraps. So, what you know, was
2: the release date before you said they changed it to forty-five oh. from?
0: Uh, they've changed the release date of Black Widow uh, three times. It was supposed to come no, out. No, no, I
2: mean the the delay from. Uh, you said oh, that they're now, most, of the, time, most of the time,
0: most of the time it's most of the time it's 90 days. Okay. Uh, there are a couple of studios. I think Universal went down to 30 days and AMC agreed to that and Regal Cinemas agreed to that. Uh, but most of the time it's 90 days. And so now that studios are really all kind of agreeing on at least 45 days and the and the uh, uh, motion picture uh, theater owners association have agreed to the 45 days. I think we're still going to see a lot of uh, theaters say, yeah, we'll go ahead and, or sorry, studios say, yeah, we'll go ahead and still release to the theaters, but we're also going to release digitally in many of these cases. And I think for Disney, 60 versus 80, it's $20 million difference. But in in the case of the streaming uh, side, Disney gets $60 million on the movie theater side. They're only getting $40 million. So at the end of the weekend, Black Widow made more for Disney via the, the streaming, uh, Premier or premium service than it did going to the theater. So that's, that's my, that's my whole take on that. Rodrigo. I know somebody else who made a whole lot of money. Mr. Anonymous.
3: Yeah, somebody did. Uh, there is a new 800 pound gorilla in the vintage video game arena. Last week, heritage auction sold an unopened copy of super Mario 64 for $1.56 million. Uh, The auction house uh, said it received 16 bids during the live auction. Just two days prior, an early copy of 1987's The Legend of Zelda sold for $870,000. Super Mario 64, of course, from that bygone era of 1996.
0: Right. Uh, This gives gives me hope that my unopened copy of uh, uh, some PS4 game that I have is someday going to be worth a lot of money.
2: Yeah, yeah. I don't understand why. Because Nostalgia. Of the, the previous sales of these sealed book or uh, games were they were they were hard to find. You know, they were like uh, gold label copies, or they were pre production copies, or they were things that are inherently rare. Super Mario sixty four was a huge game. It sold hundreds of thousands yes, of copies.
0: but this is an unopened
2: game. Okay, yeah, just, but why why would it go so high?
0: For the same reason that a a slabbed version of a comic book sells higher than a one that's not even bagged and boarded.
3: Literally today the story broke that somebody bought a copy of Skyrim, I want to say for like the PlayStation 360 and no, the Xbox 360 uh for $600. It's like that's weird.
0: Yeah, you gap- should I would I would really recommend it's a really weird dive to go into and it's going to totally throw off your YouTube algorithm. But go and look up uh, gaming rooms that people have set up for their for their arcade collections, and people set these things up to look exactly like a uh, like a uh, blockbuster or something that you would go and write video games in and they have every single platform that was ever released. They've got them all set up so they can still play them. They've got shelves and shelves and shelves of these things all on display. And if you can put an unopened copy of Mario 64 in pristine condition up on the top top shelf, I think that's kind of that, you know, that's that collector's mentality that's going on there. I, I personally wouldn't spend that much on a video game. Um, but I mean, somebody is, is, fairly desperate to get their hands on it. That, or, you know, the, uh, secret drug, d- drug stash is hidden on the inside and is worth at least $6 million. This,
2: I mean, this is making my collector sense tingle in a way that yeah. things haven't since 1996, because this is, this seems like extreme inflation. Even if you take into account, you know, the, oh, it's slabbed. You know, I have seen a slabbed comic go for 10 or 20 or 25 times what the original, is is running for, but 1.56 million is like a, a literal factor of 100. It's like an order of magnitude above what you should so, be paying for even a new, new super Mario 64. And it really feels like speculator inflation of a market. That's just about to go. Pfft, to
0: except me. that, and, except and that gets, Matthew, except oh. that in the nineties, it was all about speculation. A, copy of this thing selling for 1.56 million. That's not speculation. That's somebody actually stepping up to the, to the bar and saying, here's my 1.56 million dollars. That's not speculation. That's somebody that's saying, I would like to buy this for this value. So it's, it's, I see where you're coming from in collectors done gone crazy, but um, it's nowhere. This is not the exact same thing as a speculator market. This thing could have sold for $50,000, but these people got into a bidding war and took it up to 1.56.
3: Yeah, I think um, I think we are going to start to see this uh, go up. I think that, I want to say that version of The Legend of Zelda um, was not a main... No, it was, like,
2: a, it was a pre-production copy.
3: Yeah, it was a pre-production copy. So that, that makes sense that it went for $800,000, right? Okay. I mean with a giant asterisk of, like, does any of this make any sense? Right. No. right. It in makes no sense that problem. people wanted this rare copy of a very popular game of a franchise that's still kicking around and people love, right? Mm-hmm. It, and I think, I, I think that may have been the last sane thing that happened in video game speculation buying. They just sold... They had, you know, a few months ago, sold a copy of, like, Super Mario Brothers mm-hmm. for... Definitely not a million dollars. No, right, we, we
0: even had it as a question on uh, major spoilers podcast. Not too long yep. ago. And it, well, so um, the, there was a bat girl first appearance of bat girl uh, sold last weekend for a crazy amount of money. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we are in this weird collectors mentality right now. And there are people that have a lot of money to burn, which is, you know, somewhat unfortunate that you'd want to spend you know, this much money on super Mario brothers when your local soup kitchen could probably, um, use a few more cans of soup. But, uh, I guess there's, there's no changing that. You
3: could just like make an addition to your house.
0: Oh man. Let's not get started about house repairs.
3: Oh, let's instead talk about, you can take that money and instead repair Steven's house.
0: There you go. Let's get away from uh house repairs and instead talk about one of Matthew's favorite properties,
2: the Peacemaker. Coming back to the five and dime, Jimmy Gunn, Jimmy Gunn took to Twitter to share the news that they have wrapped production on the first season of Peacemaker for HBO Max. And in the process, Gunn actually apparently helmed five of the eight coming episodes. Peacemaker, of course, is the John Cena joint spinning out of the upcoming Suicide Squad, excuse me, upcoming The Suicide Squad movie, uh, starring Cena, Jody Hill, Brad Anderson, and Rosemary Rodriguez. Uh, From what we know, Peacemaker is going to be looking into the origins of the character, a man who believes in peace at any cost, no matter how many people he has to kill. Arg! The Suicide Squad movie arrives on August 6th, 2021.
0: Now, uh, just to clarify for people who don't know who Peacemaker is, this is the Mm -hmm. guy that is so intent on peace that he puts plastic explosives around his head. Right. uh, And then gets pummeled a lot.
2: Well... in his defense, his helmet actually looks like a toilet seat. So, I mean, the being full of plastic explosive is not the worst thing about his hat. But I am just amazed at the dedication that Cena is showing to his costume because he's doing interviews with big name, you know, outlets in costume as Peacemaker. And I'm like, did someone ask John to do that? And apparently, James Gunn was like, we did not ask John to do that. <laughs> So I don't know. I, I'm looking forward to it. I've always found Peacemaker to be hilarious, and I kind of hope that it's going to be hilarious in, in a way that I appreciate.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, let's switch from HBO Max over to Netflix during last week's WitcherCon. That's right. WitcherCon, everybody. Netflix announced not only the December 17th release, uh, for the second season of The Witcher, but also the August 23rd release of Nightmare of the Wolf, an animated Witcher movie uh, that is coming out. Here's how Here's how the logline of the movie reads, quote, Before Geralt or Geralt or Geralt, or maybe it's Giff or Giff, I don't know, there was Vesemir, a cocky young witcher who delights in slaying monsters for coin. When a dangerous new power rises on the continent, Vesemir learns some witching jobs are more than just about the money. It's all about the monies, Rodrigo. Yes. Yes, it is. It is all about. Hey, listen, everybody, we want you to join the conversation about these stories and a whole lot more over on our major spoilers discord. There is a link right there in the show notes. Just click it. It'll open up your discord app. It'll take you in the major spoilers room. Everybody will say hello. They will share uh, uh, cat gifts with you. You can interact with us. You can interact uh, with other hosts of our other shows. Uh, You can interact with a bunch of really cool people over on our Discord server, and it's completely for free to join. You don't have to do that. However, if you would like to unlock secret channels, hidden things that we keep away from the masses, then you need to connect your Patreon account to our Discord server, and then you get access to all of that stuff, including our calendar, so you know when our next VIP live chat is, so you know when our next dueling review is, so you know when our next GM roundtable is, some of the exclusive stuff that we do for our patrons Find out more over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. All right. Let us jump into some reviews. And I think, how about we start off? I'm going to start off with a book. And I know a lot of people are like, okay, I can understand movies. I can understand, uh, uh, video games, but books hear me out. Ladies and gentlemen, this is by Fabian Niseiza, nice who is a um, comic book writer and an editor. He does a lot of stuff that you may know. He has been working on this book. The first idea he said came to him in 1995 for, um, you know, not quite a cozy mystery, but it's certainly a small town mystery uh, where a person who didn't, uh, uh, Andy Stern, who didn't get into the FBI, she didn't um, uh, join the FBI, but she went in as an FBI profiler. She stumbles across a murder of an Indian gas station attendant in New Jersey in the town that she lives in. And pretty soon she hooks up with an old colleague, a local disgraced journalist, Kenneth Lee, and the two of them start putting their heads together and find out that the murder of this gas station attendant uh, has its roots going back 50 plus years. And so the two of them work together to solve the mystery. It's a really fun book. Rarely do I start a book on a Saturday and have it done on a Sunday afternoon. But that's the case of a suburban dicks that I finally had a chance to pull off the uh, top of my pile and read. And I blew through it just this weekend. It's really, really good. It runs really, really fast. I hope we see more from uh, Fabian in, in this universe. I did reach out to him and say, Hey, um, you know, when you, I hope your agent sold the rights to this or is in talks with selling the rights to this to hbo max and he said well i can't tell you uh you know what's going on with this but the the rights have already been optioned now whether that's a movie series or a tv series i don't know uh if you are a fan of mayor of east town which a lot of people were really hot on uh on hbo max this is in that same vein so if you liked mayor of east town you're going to like this. It's got, you know, a lot of fingers being pointed left and right. It's got a lot of, Oh, I bet it's this guy, but it's that guy. It even kind of had, and I want to say that it has the exact same ending as mayor of mayor of East town. But right when you think you've got the mystery solved, there's like four more chapters left where they actually solve the mystery. They finally get that final clue and put it together. It's really good. It talks about uh, inherent racism. It talks about police brutality. It talks about um, multiple cultures kind of living together and how that changes a community. Uh, So there's a lot of that that goes on in this book. But if you're looking for something to read that's not four-color comics, then you might want to pick up Suburban Dicks from somebody who works in comics. It is currently out, I think it just came out on audiobook. Um, a couple of weeks ago, it's been out on uh, in print since June 22nd, but it's definitely worth picking up off of uh, your local bookstore and and reading it uh, throughout. I'm going to give it four slices of meatloaf out of five. It is that enjoyable. Cool. Yeah, it really is. Uh, let's see. Skybound X came out, I want to say last week from All Skybound Comics. From uh, Image Comics, I, the, I don't know what the relationship is between Skybound and Image. Skybound seems to be its own thing and not quite an imprint of Image Comics. Ashley, do you know what that what that uh, deal is? I know it's Robert so Kirkman all, all the way down.
1: All imprints of Image are sort of um, Image is the distro, oh, and, okay. and then they operate a little um, in a more like codified and independent way, which is why. Uh, you will see someone like Skybound um, operating and outputting very different stuff than uh, somebody like Topcow, for example. And um, they are very insular in that way. There's not a lot of cross. I mean, there's friends and stuff, but it's not like no it's not like the image heads all get together uh, every year or so. So all the imprints are sort of free to do what they want. I mm-hmm. know Skybound is a little bit of an outlier because it's the uh, newest edition. Mm-hmm. But that's sort of as far as my knowledge on it goes.
0: Okay,
2: that clears up. I think that up. it's also the most successful monetarily-wise, what with, you know, Kirkman having that whole Walking Dead franchise that mm-hmm. that the universe. Yeah. yeah. So tell us, Matthew, so, about
0: Skybound X, number
2: one. You got your Skybound X, number one, which was, um, honestly, even though it's the 11th year of Skybound, the 10-year anniversary of skybound as an entity going back to the beginning of the walking dead. And this is interesting because it is what I consider to be a classic comic anthology. There are four stories, none of which is really considered, you know, I I don't feel like any of them are really the lead it's here's a whole bunch of cool stuff. Um, It starts with uh, Rick Grimes 2000, which is a continuation from, I think issue 50 of the walking dead where all of a sudden Rick wakes up and he's in full color and the zombies have actually been sent by aliens and the aliens are trying to create super soldiers and Rick and Tyrese and all the people that we know from The Walking Dead have been turned into super soldiers and of course, you know, Rick is now running around in a costume with a lightsaber and it's hilarious. It is so dumb and (laughs) it's, it's dumb in a way that I feel is is kind of entertainingly dumb, but also horrifying because they do things that are meant to be one off jokes, but the one off jokes usually end up things like killing Michonne on panel or putting Rick's wife in a standard superheroine costume in a damsel in distress pose, and you know rick's uh, little robot hand is all cool, but i don 't know it's 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 funny, but it's a, a weird kind of edgy 30-year-old man funny, and I don't know if it's going to appeal to everybody, but it's drawn by Ryan Otley, and it looks like a gorgeous episode of Invincible, and so that's kind of neat. Um, There's also a story of Clementine, who is a character from The Walking Dead video game, who is now being transitioned into comic books. Uh, Clementine started as a little girl and then grew up over the course of four seasons of The Walking Dead video game that is a beautiful story it looks great it reads great and when we get to the end of it they're like yep we're going to see more of this character and i'm like yes please i would like to read more of this i i I rather enjoyed it and there are a couple of other stories in the book one is a chapter of ultra mega which uh is sort of a kaiju story where there are superheroes with giant powers who fight kaiju it's not jet jaguar And this one is actually kind of funny in that it feels like a a little piece of uh, maybe a Lone Wolf and Cub comic, where the sidekick learns an important lesson. And then, of course, the third installment, which I don't know what it is. Uh, It's called Manifest Destiny, and it's about cartoon birds. And I laughed. Don't get me wrong. I found it quite entertaining. But I, I, I honestly can't tell you what it is, what it means, or anything. I will say... Check it out, because it's kind of funny in an old-school cartoon way. Uh, All in all, this is a wildly divergent chunk of stories, which is what I want in an anthology. And none of this is less than competently drawn. Some of it is phenomenal. Even the worst page of the story, you're going to be like, yeah, that looks really good. But the balance to me feels off. Um, I feel like, If I were the editor, I would have shaken up the order of these stories a little bit. But all in all, everything here is fun. If you're a fan of Kirkman's properties and you're like, hey, I'm totally on board and I appreciate Bob Kirkman's sense of humor. I really like the whole Skyboard Skybound jam. You're probably going to want to check this out. Three slices of meatloaf for Skybound X. I think it's a weekly series because issue two is solicited for today. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I'm going to I'm probably going to be checking this one out just if only, you know, to see robot future super soldier Rick Grimes in color.
0: Yeah, that one will end, uh, I believe, on issue four, issue four or five that the Rick Grimes 2000 story ends. So uh, don't get too attached.
2: Is this an ongoing or is this like a limited?
0: Um, As far as I know, it is an ongoing series, Uh, but the stories inside of it are not. Right. So there you go. All right. Let us jump to uh, other comics that are releasing this week, Ashley, with nuclear power number four from Fanbase Press.
1: Heck yeah. So listeners of the show might remember that I reviewed issue two probably about two months ago because that's kind of how k- comic books work. <laughs> Um, I meant to do issue three. Obviously, it slipped past me. So I was like super psyched when they sent us issue four coming out. So Fanbase Press is um, an independent publisher based in LA. I've talked a lot about their stuff in the past. I think they make really special books and nuclear power compared to some of the other stuff that I've read from them, is really a divergence. It's much more dark and adult. Um, I tend to stray a little closer to their YA stuff. And it asks the questions, oh, what happened if the Cold War ended in a different way? Which is a very obvious divergence of a timeline alternate reality type story. Uh, But what's fun about it is they take the mutant route, Um, And with issue four, we are starting to head toward the denouement of the series, so things are happening in a really, really exciting way. Dr. Toki, or Tochi, I'm not sure how Italian this character is supposed to be, um, who got kidnapped slash kind of ran away at the beginning of the series, um, has come to understand who the variants are and how they are living in their society outside of the American Union, And what's cool about this issue is because now we've got to the point where um, if this were a Western, Kevin Costner would be getting really friendly with Graham Greene, and so uh, she's allowed inside the Longhouse. But in this comic, the version is uh, she's allowed inside what was once the American White House because that is neutral ground in the world outside the Union, and it is considered a holy space. And we get to see there... Uh, With the addition of a skeleton, which, you know, may or may not be a prop, unclear uh, exactly how uh, the Cold War diverged and the exact event which led to this divergence from our timeline. I don't want to spoil it because it's more clever than I would have given the series credit for because up to this point, it's kind of a cool period Um. A pseudo X-Men take um, the Dr. Tochi. She's pregnant and uh, they think she's pregnant with an unhealthy pregnancy. But we've learned that their are variants who are like the little mutant kids. Um, and while all that is fun, this is where the lore of the world has really started to coalesce in like a fascinating, smart way and it's kind of made me appreciate this series on a different level which is a lovely surprise to come by like right in the middle end uh Desiree Proctor and Erica Harrell or Harold the two writers my hats off to you um for surprising me in this way and of course because we're in this is either the penultimate or the penultimate penultimate issue uh I clearly really paid attention to how many issues were in this series as I prepped my review for it um But because we're in, we're nearing the end, there is a huge fight, and we had a couple character deaths as well that I was surprised by. So I've been loving the series so far. And then this issue kind of like took my breath away from a storytelling perspective. And of course, Lin Yoshi's art is really beautiful um, and brings a really unexpected anime sensibility to it. But I was. I was pleasantly surprised with how smart this issue turned out to be, and i I think that's gonna make it sound like I didn't think the rest of the issues were smart or well crafted or interesting, but like this one this one really got me, gal. so it comes out tomorrow. It's a digital first that's ninety nine cents. I can't recommend it enough and uh, if you're like me and you're familiar with fan base press, but you're more used to their all ages offerings, I think this is like a really cool. Uh, it's a really cool divergence from that, so really great. Uh, I was very, very surprised today as I was doing my reading for the podcast.
0: Very nice. Uh, two more issues to go. This is six issue miniseries.
1: Heck yes! Thank and, you, Stephen. And then for reading the, the email that I didn't.
0: Uh, no, I'm actually looking on the fan base website. Oh, um, but sorry, this Barbara, is going to be collected. Keep
1: sending us copies. <laughs> this is going to be
0: collected in, I want to say, trade. Um. You in october
1: really nice collections yeah yeah
0: yeah so go check that out no I, uh, I i did read the press and we put the uh preview up on the site but to find out exactly how many issues i had to jump over to their to their web page so there you go all right let us jump into some more fun comics rodrigo and yeah. uh, take a look at betty and veronica Dum- jumbo comics digest 295 from archie comics
3: yeah so um Everybody loves Archie comics, uh, Betty and Veronica of course always uh fighting over Archie, uh you know, as a way to spend time with each other. Um but uh so this one has a ton of stories. It's 186 pages. Um and it features a new story in which uh, Riverdale has a mermaid festival. Oh. Uh, which is interesting uh i think riverdale is one of those uh towns like uh, a lot of places in the d c universe that kind of change location and they're probably like next to the ocean and also a river and also it snows there and also uh the summers are hot and also you know uh they're both uh in a plateau and below sea level so uh that story is fine for me, really, the standout story of this one is maybe the third story in. It's called uh, S- Scarecrowing. And first off, you see Betty's dad, who I feel is a character that you very rarely get to see. Um, he doesn't look like anything. He just looks like a, you know, you know what Archie <laughs> people look like. He just looks like a, you know, 40-year-old guy. It's fine. There's nothing special about him. I was just like, who is that guy? It's like, oh, it's Betty's dad. So it's like, good, fine. He's balding a little bit. That's fine. But that story has a scarecrow that he makes. And this thing is really stupid looking. Like, I love it so much. It looks like, okay, imagine if, uh, you know, the first draft of The Simpsons, were like, or, or like the first iteration of The Simpsons, where they were like extra spiky. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, so imagine like Lisa's spikes on like and then a pair of like angry bulgy eyes, then like an angry mouth with like two ears um and then a lumpy chin this is this all flesh colored uh like pink or you know like tan um and then like whiskers all along it it looks like like it looks like an angry scrotum. Um, that's, and then, that's
0: something that I never expected to hear in a, in a Archie comics review. It looked like an angry scrotum.
3: I don't think it, I don't think it's purposeful that it looks like that, but it also has two hands coming out with white gloves. And here's the thing. Those hands are very expressive, like complete hands, right? When you look at the characters who are actually alive, and their hands, they're very similar. You know, it's like they weren't drawn to be like stiff looking or anything. Like you can, it looks like it has like manual dexterity to it. And I'm like, I feel like Betty's dad spent no time coming up with what the face was going to look like. And then it's spent a ton of time like making like a wire frame, like a chicken wire. With like some coat hanger thing to make like very humanoid looking hands. And then put a pair of pristine white gloves over them to make a scarecrow. It's just amazing. I got to that page and I started laughing. Um, The joke is, is that that scarecrow is not very effective. Which seems weird because that's probably the scariest thing I've ever seen in an Archie comic. well... Before the uh, scary stuff actually started happening in Archie comics. Um, and the joke there is that he actually m- then remakes the scarecrow th- and makes it look like Archie and it scares the birds. So that's a joke. <laughs> but, um, but man, this thing, I just, I keep looking at it and I feel like every time I look at it, there's more to look at. Um. Again, clearly not a purposeful thing. You're not supposed to be mesmerized by the Scarecrow. But that's kind of where I landed. Um, I'm going to give it three slices of meatloaf. It's exactly what you'd hope for from an Archie Digels, right? It's like good, clean, uncomplicated, fun. You know, nothing too major, nothing too difficult. The characters, you know, very, very low stakes situations that the characters find themselves in, which is not a bad thing.
0: All right, there you go. Now, dear listener, I know you're asking yourself, "How do I see this scrotum faced scarecrow?" I want to get a copy of this for myself. Well,
1: <laughs>
0: first of all, not
1: judging—we're <laughs> not judging
0: Ashley. <laughs> um, but uh, let's say uh, the first thing I would say is go visit your local comic shop. But I know what you're now thinking, is, Stephen. But I want to help. Major spoilers. You guys are so awesomes. Well. I have put a link inside the show notes and over at the Major Spoilers website, uh, places where you can buy these uh, things that we've talked about in the review and a little bit of money comes back our way. So, for example, Suburban Dicks, you can use the Amazon affiliate link and you can buy it in Kindle form. You can buy it in uh, Audible form, which is how I uh, did it, or you can get a hardback cover and and maybe Matthew someday someone will sell it for two point six million dollars. Uh, on the auction block, but only if it's signed and only if it still has its dust cover. Uh, You could if you wanted to buy the Skybound X or Betty and Veronica or Nuclear Power. uh, You can use the Comixology affiliate link and you can click on that link. And again, a little bit comes back our way. It's not a whole lot, but it is a little something. uh, And we certainly appreciate everyone who is using the Comixology and Amazon affiliate links over on Majorspoilers.com. We certainly, certainly appreciate that. And, um, let's see what else. Oh, if you want to hear us talk a little bit about Loki and some Loki speculation, if you want to hear us talk about, uh, Black Widow and whatever the hell else we talked about, uh, you want to go check out the major spoilers pre-show. It is over on our Patreon page. It is a patron exclusive for everyone at the silver level and higher. Uh, I think it's a, it's a great option to be at the silver level, but that's just me. And I do want to give a shout out to Richard Garcia, who is our newest patron who signed up uh i want to say just today uh i want to say but it could have been this week but uh, regardless thank you Richard. Could've been any
2: time in the last 6 months
0: No 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 it wouldn't have been in the last 6 months because uh specifically Matthew i said our newest patron is Richard so he signed up sometime uh probably since a sunday so it's probably within the last couple of days but welcome Richard and welcome to everyone who is a patron uh go check out the pre show we make it specifically for you. All right. Now let us jump into some Ashley focused talk here. Not about her fantastic uh, uh, acting skills. Not about how great she Are looks.
1: reviewing my web series comic, The Red Diaries, A Night on the Enterprise?
0: What? Tell us about this. We,
1: we can't. It's 10 pages long. <laughs> well,
0: I mean, we can. It, when is, uh, this is out now, right? People can go and check that out. Where can they find that?
1: I truly, uh, that's a great question. I have no idea what the answer to that is. Oh. Um, when we were doing the red shirt diaries as part of our kicks, our Indiegogo campaign for season two, we did like a simultaneous, um, web comic, I remember um, that drawn by jeremy owen that jason and i co-wrote um and so i it's only 10 pages it's on goodreads which is hysterical but it used to be on the website but i don't think it exists anymore but i own a page of it in my home so but you you watch. you can watch the redshirt diaries um on youtube yeah,
0: yeah. and so what is We're Redshirt talk- diaries oh, well, well i mean we can
1: 31 episode star trek parody web series um that um i star in and jason i mean for all intents and purposes show ran um, and executively produced mm-hmm. and played about six roles in uh where i play the lowest ranked member of the starship enterprise and go through uh i'm just around the corner from all of the major tos episodes up to a mock time i think that was our finale nice
0: it's, it's really good you can go find it on youtube it's probably still out there Paramount, would, uh, oh, yeah. Paramount never came around and said, hey, you guys, knock it off.
1: No, we were grandfathered in because um, all of our episodes came out before those rules were in place. Um, you know, and we didn't we didn't violate any of the other rules.
0: Yeah, there you go. There was a uh, Ashley and I did a uh, Finally Friday episode all about that. Oh, you can go yeah. dig around over the major spoilers video. That's our YouTube channel. Um, you have to go back several years. I couldn't even tell you what year. What year was that, Ashley, that you guys were doing that?
1: Oh my God, 2014 and 15 would have been when we were making them. So that's probably the same years that they were released.
0: Yeah, because it's right around that time that, you know, uh, Paramount was going around saying, hey, you guys, uh, stop using our IP to enrich uh, your lives. Instead, go and buy our Paramount comic books, uh, which is also an imprint of Marvel Comics. And Mm -hmm. uh, we will use the Marvel X-Men and use their popularity to boost our Star Trek sales. In 1996 and what 98, I want to say, is the second well, one.
2: It wasn't very long. I want to say that, yeah, I don't even think they got to 98.
0: Oof. Uh-huh. Star Trek X-Men, one shot one and one shot two. One with the original series, one with the next generation. And uh, Ashley, how about you just walk us through? Uh, you want to do the next generation. How about, uh, Matthew, you walk us through uh, the, the original series Kirk stuff.
2: Sure. All right. D- so- d-
0: did he just punch
2: my ship? He punched my ship. Start date 4748.5. Uh, the Enterprise is flying around in space and things are strangely drawn, and all of a sudden they run into a Shiar starship. And it turns out that time and space is messed up. Because uh, Professor X's illegitimate son, Proteus, who's actually Scottish for some reason, traveled forward in time and ended up finding the body of Gary Mitchell, which was still imbued with, I don't know, Q energy or whatever it was that gave him powers in the original uh, Star Trek, the second Star Trek pilot where no man has gone before. And so they messed up time, space, and dimension, and the X-Men showed up on the Enterprise, and Spock beat Wolverine, it's canon, and that's really... Actually, that's not all you need you know. The Imperial Guards are in this. They always get treated as, like, these schmucks. And here is no exception. They get this, beat down.
0: You know, this it's one terrible. does kind of feel like, because we're dealing with uh, Gary Mitchell and... Oh, it's only Gary Mitchell. Um, mm-hmm. But because we're dealing with, like, original series stuff and themes, this one feels a little bit more grounded in, do I kill my friend or do I save the universe kind of moments
2: yeah and it it works up to a point because again the point of paramount comics was hey let's do comic books and let's try and do justice because at the time that paramount launched this book uh it killed not only uh star trek books at dc but also star trek books at malibu Mm -hmm. uh, where the deep space nine franchise was and They were like, let's bring it all together in-house. Let's take it to Marvel, because Marvel's you know, the top show in town. And when you pick up uh, Star Trek's men, the first thing you're going to notice, other than the fact that the printing is atrocious uh, because of the paper that they used, uh, you're going to notice that it's actually true to, in ways that a lot of adaptations are, true to Star Trek canon. And true to original series, you know, up uh, to the point that six-foot-tall steel mutants walk on board.
0: I mean, it's not its not horrible, is it, Rodrigo?
2: No, I, I wouldn't say it's. It's
3: probably not the worst one that we've read so far. Oh, man. Um, but, uh...
1: Which in it's, the pantheon of Trek comics is kind of saying something.
3: Yeah, it's it's a it's weird. Uh, what I what is okay. So, you guys remember uh, we did that uh, Doctor Who one with like the Matt Smith Doctor, mm-hmm. and so it's like everybody looked like they their faces had been painted from reference, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Like this one is like the complete opposite of that. The Star Trek characters look like they're actors. But the X Men look like like the Jim Lee era X Men. (laughs) So (laughs) they look look like they're not even the same. Mark
1: Silvestri is one of the artists on here, and I feel like that might have a bit to do. Obviously, they come from sort of that same image class that we were kind of talking about earlier. Yeah.
3: So Bishop, there's a there's a panel of Bishop starting like standing next to Scotty, and Scotty's head is like the size. Of one of the muscles in Bishop's six pack, right? It's like you could put the entirety of Scotty into one of his arms. They're just like so. And if like if you looked at Beast, it's like well, Beast is like physically very mutated or whatever, right? But like Bishop is supposed to, like, he's just like, a buff dude. Not that he's not strong guy, right? Yeah, he's right. not random. Large man. Bishop looks like a person, or he's supposed to. Um, so like the 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 art comparison between these like very normal human looking people. And then the X-Men who are like, you know, it's like the star Trek characters are like five heads tall mm-hmm. and the X-Men characters are like six heads tall. Like that's, it, that's one thing that match. I noticed. It's like when you get, when you have like, if you want to play with like Barbie and your like Kenner star Wars action figures, it's yeah. just like, mm-hmm. they're not the same size. I or found Barbie that and He-Man. it, it yeah, jumped exactly.
0: out for me in the second book when there's like, Jean gray is standing next to Riker and she's drawn shorter than Riker, but her hips are higher than Riker's hips. And I'm just like, wow, that 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 really looks odd. But yeah, I do agree with you <laughs> that there's a bit of a disconnect between, um, between the X Men art and the Star Trek art, where yeah. it's it's. I wish they could have found some clever in between or something, but it 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 looks weird here. That's that's all I it, can say. I, you know, the, I it, think when going back to that Doctor Who book, the one that worked best was when they did. Tom Baker in cartoon version and Star Trek in its cartoon version where they all kind of look in the same style, but it's not like all of a sudden this 2d universe suddenly popped into existence in my 3d universe. And I'm looking at these cartoon figures standing next to me because that's kind of how a lot of this feels. Yeah.
2: That's, that's exactly what it looks like though. It feels like a jam sesh where, Somebody drew the X Men, and somebody else, mm-hmm. entirely different, mm-hmm. drew.
0: Well, the I mean, Star you do. You have Mark Silvestri, Billy Tan, Anthony Wynn, David Finch, and Brian Brian Ching doing all the art in Who this book. Now, some of them are doing awesome. inks. Yeah, yeah, they're all great artists, right? Um,
2: mm-hmm. And then, like twelve credited inkers.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But even even when inkers, they do not get enough credit. <laughs>
2: Even if you look at, you know, intra page, like Rodrigo pointed out the moment with, uh, with, uh, yeah, Yeah. the moment that really gets me is the moment in sick bay where McCoy is working on gambit and gambit is lying down and he looks like an X man and McCoy is leaning over him and McCoy looks like a normal human being. But that means that McCoy's entire torso is barely the width of gambit's Uh thigh. Yep. And of course, it has that moment where uh, you know Nurse Chapel walks in and yells, "Doctor McCoy!" and Leonard and the Beast both look up and say, "What?" And I'm like, "That's why they wrote this whole book. That moment, they wanted to have Doctor McCoy and Doctor McCoy get confused." Yeah, because the this book exists.
0: The MacGuffin part about there's a rift in space and it's now. terraforming the planet down below, and that's where Gary Mitchell is at, and we have to go down there, and I can't kill my friend. I will
1: not allow you to disparage Gary Mitchell.
0: (laughs) I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm just saying that, you know, the whole Gary Mitchell part of the the story just seems kind of like a tacked-on afterthought of, what if X-Men but with the Star Trek characters, and they have to sneak around the ship without any sensor going off saying, hey, we've detected, like, seven new bodies on this ship, Captain. Um, And one of
2: them's made of steel.
0: Yeah, and... And somehow Spock is detecting uh, psionic energies in his head, but whatever.
2: Spock is a telepath. Spock yeah, is canonically Spock. a telepath. I know
0: he he can he can commune with the uh, with the the hot lava rock. I know. Still, kind of dumb. <laughs> is it? I think so. Right? I just think so. Especially in that, you know,
2: like they it, could especially... have they could have made that a lot cheesier. Having an established no. telepath get some indication that there's a telepath on board makes sense to me. Yeah. Yes. You watched TNG? <laughs> yeah. But it, I think it it's in Kirk, how they did I'd be like, it. Like, yeah, that's a stretch.
0: No, no, I think, I think it's in how they handle it. Right. Because they, they go through great lengths with uh, McCoy and Spock at the beginning where Spock is like, it is exactly 1.86 uh, million miles to our destination. Captain, And uh, McCoy is just like, could you please just round up? And and Spock may makes some comment about, oh, it seems logical that we need to keep this precise because of science. And then he's like, oh, I detect a telepathic link. I'm not going to say anything, but I will uh, excuse myself from the bridge and go investigate on my own. Doesn't seem to be keeping with with uh, with Spock's with Spock's characterization as it was first set up at the
3: beginning of the story. Telepath solidarity. I know. Right. Like I can't I can't narc on a telepath until I know what's happening. Especially
0: that's once scary. we find out that they're mutants, that they're nearly human. Oh wait, is that that is in this one, right? Yeah. I can't remember. I got my uh, uh
1: Yeah, but Gary Mitchell is also like, I believe, classified as a mutant in in the mm-hmm. one episode true. wherein he appears
2: mm-hmm. that's with true. his hard, Canonical. hard,
1: hard contact lenses that oh, make my stuff. eyes water just by looking at them.
2: Yeah, Sally Kellerman.
3: And and you know, that's why we ended up here, right? They're like, what is the most X Men like thing that ever happened on Star Trek? Yep. And they landed here. And I was like, okay, well, let's do, you know, they're like, let's do a riff on that. And, you know, it's okay.
1: It these are very. A... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt.
3: <laughs> uh, these are very incongruous properties, right? Um,
0: I mean, compared to everything <laughs> else?
3: Especially because like I feel like when we did like the Green Lantern one mm-hmm. um they were somewhat allowed to play ball a lot more with what happened to both properties here they're trying very hard to maintain the integrity of both Star Trek and the X-Men as they existed at these particular moments in their histories mm-hmm. and it just really shoves in your face that this doesn't work. Well, and I'm, I'm
0: I'm trying to remember, is this the first time that Star Trek crossed over with another property? Matthew was this one. And that's why it was such a big deal in 96.
2: I don't remember if it's the first time ever, but it's among the first time because of the nature of that Paramount comics deal. Yeah. I mean, we, I, I feel like we'd seen something before this, but it wasn't to this. Certainly it wasn't to this scale.
0: Yeah, and so maybe that's why it feels like we have to not make any big drastic changes.
2: Well, no, and I mean, you kind of can't when you're doing something like this. You're, you're clearly dealing with, uh, for lack of a better word, alternate realities on both sides. So you want to make it as relatable as possible. And, you know, in 96, at least the first half of 96, X-Men was a huge seller. And, you know, even when the entire comic industry collapsed later in 96, I I uh, remember because of stories like this. uh,
0: No, I remember this issue was like the big thing. Like people were like, oh, my gosh, can you believe that it's going to be the X-Men and Captain Kirk in space? And it's just like this is this is kind of crazy. I remember Wizard Magazine had a big thing on it. Uh, I remember our local comic shop was doing a big uh, to do about it. Uh, So, yeah, it was it was kind of a kind of a big deal. So if, if Gary Mitchell is the most mutant thing that you have in a Star Trek universe, Ashley, then I guess the most Mm. Borgy thing that you can have in an X-Men universe would be days of future past. Mm. And that brings us to the next generation installment. Only two of these things exist people. So be happy that we're just
2: covering all of it. There's actually a tie in novel um, that I've never read, but I've seen. That picks up after this story and immediately picks up from the end of Star Trek uh, Next Generation X-Men. God, why?
1: Fill, uh, fill us in, know.
0: Ashley. Fill us in. What happens when the Borg and the Sentinels get together?
1: <laughs> um, that pretty much
2: covers it. We'll see you next week, kids.
1: Yeah, it's like that. It's like um, Scott and Riker hang out. And, like, that's very hot. And uh, Wolverine and
0: Data. Pink's... Data get it in a fight.
1: No, who does Wolverine?
2: Colossus fight? and Data get in. Oh, a Colossus fight. and
1: yeah, Playa. yeah. Wolverine like pals around with someone else, and that's Orph. fun. Yes, thank you. I was like, Orphorine. it's the angry guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Couldn't pull know. Orph. He's a DS Nine character.
0: <laughs> uh, My favorite. My favorite panel. I shared it on Twitter earlier today is when they beam down to Earth and they have to wear civilian clothing. And Worf is yes. like, these jeans are a most uncomfortable garment.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but are they, though? I mean, 1990s, I mean, I don't
3: think we've hit
2: skinny jeans season yet. In his defense, he's used to wearing pajamas.
3: Yeah. I mean, ca- like, uh, canonically, I don't think the Starfleet uniforms are uncomfortable but in reality they are there are multiple accounts from uh the next generation cast saying that their outfits were very tight yes and that you know that uh gives us the uh like the Riker, uh like double like double adjustment right stands up one hand at your belt one hand behind you scooch up then hands at your hips scooch up start walking forward right like the, the 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 uniforms apparently were like too tight for for the actors' comfort. Wow.
0: Uh so yes. uh we get to uh, go to the far off year of 2013 and see what, what is life is like, and and we find uh, I don't know Tasha Yar something something brain meld, and oh look, Wesley is back.
3: Days
2: of Future Past.
3: Can I can I ask a question that I don't I don't know if like it's addressed and i missed it sure. is this is this an alternate crew of the enterprise
2: this is the crew of the enterprise after star trek first contact which i think is their oh. second movie is that that's is that why, why... Da- that's why data's face is ripped off because he's just fought mm-hmm. the borg queen and he had human skin on his head for a minute.
0: And Jordy has the
3: contacts instead yeah, of the. Yeah, Jordy visor. has
2: like the the side thing. Right. And this right, is that's this I, is the oh, Enterprise D okay. e right. because the the D was blown up oh, at okay. the end of Generations.
3: Yeah, that's what I was. That's what I was wondering because I I haven't seen like I've seen lots of random episodes of mm-hmm. uh, the Next Generation. And I'm like I don't ever remember Data looking like that. I know that there are times when Jordy like they do something and Jordy doesn't have his. Uh, his cool right. specs, which really just seems like a waste, right? Maybe, maybe it was in LeVar Burton's contract that he's like, okay, I'm still doing the character, but I don't want to wear the stupid visor anymore. It was a I little
0: distracting. Because... It is very distracting at first when they first appear and it's like, what the what?
2: Yeah. And the the visor was apparently as uncomfortable as the space suits, according to LeVar. Yeah. Because you basically, you know, have a thing clipped to your face and you can't see crap.
0: What's going on with Tasha Yar, Ashley, in this book?
1: She's stuck. I'm like, is she alive in this book?
2: I don't know. She's (laughs) stuck in the the days of future past reality. Yeah. Oh, that's
1: right. She's Kitty Pride in this, where she is. (laughs) She's the young, beautiful girl. She gets like, sorry, Tasha Yar barely exists in my brain and i think i just revealed that i'm sorry to anyone who loves her she dies throttled by a garbage bag
3: (laughs) right the the best part is the uh determinism of this Mm -hmm. because they reintroduce both tasha yar and warpath thunderbird thunderbird right yeah Oh, is it Thunderbird? Oh,
2: this is Thunderbird. This is the right, the, right
3: Thunderbird. Yeah, yeah. I, I, first, I got him. That type.
2: first crew right. member that we lost. Thing.
3: Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. So they they reintroduced, uh Tasha Yar and Thunderbird just to kill them again. <laughs> <laughs> because
2: I feel they're like the reason Tasha Yar's fate is screwed up. Yeah, they they should have been dead, but they're not dead. And also, something is really up with Storm's hair.
0: Yeah. This is a, hmm. This one's worse. Here's, here's the thing. Neither one of these is good. But and I wouldn't worse. even, I mean, I mean, if you want to see what happens when you mix your Star Trek with other properties, this is certainly a book you could pick up. I think there are better examples of that. Uh, well, Ashley, now that, now that we forced you to read <laughs> multiple Star Trek crossovers, and we're not done yet because uh, Planet of the Apes coming up, uh, Transformers mm. yeah. coming up. Uh, what, 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 give give me some final thoughts. Some some lay some smackdown on this Star Trek versus X Men stuff, or maybe not. M- maybe a slather it with some love.
1: Uh, um, this is Star Trek versus X Men is fun if you are just literally here for the what if gag of it. Like everybody looks pretty good. Um, they're not scaled properly, but like I don't know, this is comics, like no one is scaled properly, and there's no such thing as female anatomy. So yeah. I don't know if it's a huge deal for people for make or breaks. Um and I
0: can't I, I think... can say, I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the moment you've been waiting for Kang is how we get the X Men into the Star Trek universe. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, Did we somehow uh, align this with the with the season finale of Loki? I'm not saying yes. I'm also not saying no. We'll have to wait until we watch the final episode of Loki and find out.
2: You know, when a joke is beaten to death to the point where even I sigh.
0: Have you, have you looked at the Marvel yeah. Universe lately, Matthew?
2: You mean in have the you? comics or in the TV? Both. Yes. Yes.
3: <laughs> have you, you looked you. at the... Have you look at Marvel Universe fans lately? <laughs> I, I just feel like they're just like throw us a bone, Marvel, and it's like Marvel's just giving you See, stuff, man. We're, just, we're giving that question we, disturbing major from, from spoilers my
2: editor who you know puts up my, my Marvel comics reviews every week. <laughs> this, I, I just want to know. Well, but you're asking. Uh,
0: you're you're saying, hey, it's just like beating a dead dead horse. Have you watched the movies and read the comics? Well, there you go. Uh, we major spoilers unlike Marvel are giving the fans what they want we're showing you how Kang brings the X-Men into the Star Trek universe (sighs) I'm just saying we give the people what they want patreon.com slash major spoilers that's how you can give back Ashley final thoughts on all of this
1: Uh, crossovers are hard and Star Trek comics are hard and that's what I have learned Reading these books.
0: Oh, we're going we're gonna to beat that, that idea into you at least two more times this year. Maybe more. Matthew, final thoughts on Star Trek and X-Men.
2: I think that, you know, as we've said, the key to any crossover, smash-up, uh, remix, whatever you want to call this kind of book, is finding a central point, a center of a Venn diagram where the premises make sense. Neither of these stories do that. They're kind of just, you know, big, dumb, dynamic moments. But there are things that everybody wants to see. And in a lot of ways, if you came to see Colossus Punch Data, if you came to see Spock Pinch Wolverine Unconscious, if you came to see the Dr. McCoy gag, they're perfectly fine. I wouldn't pay money for them, but, you know.
0: Rodrigo, what about you?
2: I I think
3: the, unfortunately, the only way to give these two books a fair shot is to look at them in the context of other Star Trek crossovers, which we've been doing. And unfortunately, they're not particularly good in that sense because um, I think they uh, neither one of them has enough give for the Star Trek side or the X-Men side. We are like, okay, all right, like, it's like they're 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 trying their best to meld these two ideas. Um, they're kind of they, they it, it feels heterogeneous, right? It always feels like a thick layer of X Men is floating above Star Trek, and it looks really yucky. <coughs> um, so in the end, you know, I would say I don't know if you can't even find these books. They're hard if you to can, find, or if you can't, don't try too hard. They're okay at best.
0: Yeah, I mean. If you are someone that's really got a jonesing for Wesley and the Traveler to show up and save the day and defeat <laughs> Kang with Kang going, I don't understand how they did this. I'm going to have to go ask my, my uh, ancient grandfather how this happened. Uh, then, yeah, go, go pick up these books. But I, the novelty of it, I think, is what started this. I'm sure that Paramount Comics lasted decades after the release of, of these two books, Matthew, and is still about, going about strong half, today. Yeah. Oh, oh. Well, the abuse of Ashley and her love of Star Trek will continue uh, later this year. Uh, looks <laughs> Until like September
2: improves.
0: <laughs> September seventh, Ashley, I, I can see her furiously scribbling out her vacation request: Star Trek versus Transformers on September seventh, and then all the way in December on December seventh, Star Trek meets Planet of the Apes. So oh, plan damn, your damn vacations damn. accordingly, is what I'm saying. Uh, I'm also saying that's where we're going to wrap it up for this installment of the Major Spoilers podcast. Thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers experience.
2: We love your feedback, so join the cool kids at the Major Spoilers Discord server to share your thoughts and reactions to this Star Trek X-Men episode.
1: Or drop us an email to podcast at podcast.majorspoilers.com and you might hear your words on an upcoming episode.
3: And don't forget, you can support this show and everything we do Uh, by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash major spoilers.
0: We will be back next week. Next week. I don't know what we're reviewing. It says it's unwritten. There's a whole volume of it and it's unwritten. Oh, it's that song. I I guess we'll have to
3: like the two thousands.
0: Yeah. I guess we'll have to come back next week to talk about this unwritten comic that man, the creators better really get on the, on the ball to get this done in time. Uh, Why? Because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon.
4: Major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm a its like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline Would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun Being the Middle East With a king, Santo throwing soldier What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler, yeah, 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 what a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler.
0: This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.